Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. This morning's scripture reading comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11-12. through 12. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Beloved, I beg of you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust with war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. You may be seated. I want to welcome back all our spring breakers. Most of you went out of town or stayed home and, and enjoyed time with your kids. Uh, we had a spring break from our kids, which was a little bit different. Uh, of course, our daughter is overseas and uh, last Saturday, Stephanie took our son to be with his grandparents, and they went and spent the whole week with their aunt and uncle in Georgia. So Saturday night, we're sitting there, and we have these, uh, the, these recliners that are, has a console in between with cup holders. You know, it's, it's a sweetheart's recliner kind of thing. And I looked over, and I said, hey, this is kind of like a trial run at being empty nesters. And she, don't say that. And then she cried about 20 minutes later, so... Sometimes we husbands just say the wrong thing, but then again, sometimes we, as people say, the right thing. God is good, and all the time. James Hines made me aware of his sister, Mitty, who has cancer, and she's going to be going and having tests. They're trying to determine the source of where this cancer is, and he's asked for a special prayer for her. So let's, let's take a minute and pray for Mitty and for their family. Abba, Father, we thank you for this day. It's so beautiful outside, and, and yesterday was really nice too. We're very grateful for the sunshine, for the beauty of your creation and the blooming flowers. Though some of us, we suffer from allergies, we're so glad to see this beauty anyway. Lord, we want to remember before you, Mitty, and pray that you'll be with all the doctors that will attend to her, the oncologists, the nurses, we pray, Father, that they'll be able to find the source of what's causing her cancer, and we pray, Heavenly Father, that you'll touch their hands to give them wisdom and knowledge to best treat her. And Father, if it's your will, we pray that she would be restored to health. We pray, Father, not only for this, but we pray for her family, Father, who are understandably concerned. Give them that peace that surpasses all understanding. We pray your will to be done, and whatever your will is, we pray that you will give us the strength and the faith to accept it. But Father, we give you our heart's desire, and that is for her to be healed, for her to receive adequate treatment and to be well. But we pray not our will, but yours be done. And we remember this family before you in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. I think everyone that has ever been a parent or that is a parent you probably learned somewhere along the way to be very careful what you say. Mainly, and it may not be anything horribly bad, but uh, 
I'll give you an example, personal example. So when Brianna was young, of course, she was accustomed to hearing her daddy speak to everybody else that was driving on the highway. Now, I don't know if you do this, but I speak to people like they can hear me. So when we're at a stoplight and the stoplight turns green and I sit there for 0.5 seconds, I'll say, would you go on? You know, things like that, you know, or when someone, and this is very prevalent in this area, when someone is turning right and you're behind them, it's almost as if they've got to stop to turn. And I don't know if that aggravates you, but I'm just like, oh, come on, you know, put that thing on two wheels and get in there. But anyway, that's, now you may not talk to all the other fellow drivers like I do. Well, we were sitting in traffic. Brianna was a toddler, maybe three or four, you know, and the light had turned red and it was one of those rare occasions where I was in a patient mood, so I hadn't said anything. And in the back, you hear this little bitty voice yell, go on. And I just thought, I looked over and Stephanie looked over at me. Her eyes said, you done messed up. My eyes said, whoops. (laughs) But I learned, I'm like, okay. It sounds different when the children say it. And and you go, that's a sweet child, an innocent child. I, on the other hand, I've been corrupted. But I don't want her sounding like that. So you go, okay, I've got to change how I speak. I've got to change my heart and, and various other things, mainly because we want our children to preserve their innocence, their purity as long as, as possible. So if we want that, we as, as mamas and daddies have to change to be the kind of people that we want them to be and not remain who we are that they mimic. Well, not only do children watch parents, but non-Christians watch Christians. Even Christians watch Christians. And sometimes what they see in here isn't good. I'll be the first to say that I would never encourage anyone to follow me. Uh, I would hope folks understand I love the Lord. I love his church. I'm flawed. And, but one thing I'm not going to do, I'm not going to put on a mask and pretend to be something I'm not. Some Christians are good at that. That's fine if you choose to do so. But I think folks see through it. And that's why they often refer to us as hypocrites. It's because we put on this facade and we pretend to be something that we're not. I don't think we should pretend. I think, if anything, we should try to be transformed to not have to pretend, to just necessarily be how Jesus was. And I think in this passage in 1 Peter 2, verses 11 and 12, Peter gives us a little bit of a blueprint as to how to do that. And the first thing that he urges essentially is live like you don't belong here. And that's what he points out. He refers to the Christians as sojourners and pilgrims. We don't use those words, do we? Sojourners and pilgrim, right? Every time I hear the word pilgrim, I'm thinking John Wayne, he just comes... Howdy, pilgrim. Right, you know, that's, that's an old Western term. We don't use those words necessarily today. However, there's another verse where similar language is used. Back in Genesis, when, when Sarah had died, Abraham went to the sons of Heth and requested to purchase some land to bury her. And he said explicitly, I'm a foreigner and a visitor among you. Now, 
those are words we understand a lot better. Foreigner and a visitor. Now, those are the same words used by Peter here. To be a foreigner and a visitor. Abraham knew that he wasn't from where they were, and he knew that he wouldn't always be where they are. And that's something we have to realize, too. We're not from here, and we will not always be here. Because as Paul wrote to the Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Any of you that left town this last week, you understand this. Uh, you went somewhere nice. You had a great time. <clears throat> if you're anything like us, whenever you leave town and get back, I'm the one that will say, boy, there's just no place like home, right? Thank you, Dorothy. Uh, there's just no place like home. And then you get, if you decide to be an overachiever and unpack and put everything away the same day you get home, uh, some people are like, ah, it'll wait, it'll keep. And then the next morning, you know, you're like, where's my makeup? Well, it's still in the bag. We haven't unpacked yet. But that first night you're back home, you lay down and you go, oh, it's good to be back in our own bed, right? No bed sleeps as well as our own bed does. Getting away is nice, and, you know, most of us can look around and go, man, we're blessed. You know, if, if you think about our life on this earth as, you know, we're just away for a time. Uh, I love what C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity. He said, if I find that I have a desire in myself that nothing on this earth can satisfy, it only means that I was made for another world. And that world to which he referred was heaven. And so here, we are foreigners and, and, and we are visitors. And we can count many things like our families, our homes, our country, our job, our church family and friends, and many other things as blessings. Just like going on a vacation. You go to a place and you have a good time, you see beautiful places, but we don't belong there. And we here on earth as Christians, we do not belong here. So live like you don't belong here. And so how do you do that? Well, I think the first thing he would say is don't assimilate to the local culture. He says, beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which wage, excuse me, which war against the soul. Now the word lust could also be translated as desires. When we think about lust, we think about something naturally that is more sexual. Uh, but desires may be a better translation there. <clears throat> so when we think about, uh, of course, you have fleshly desires as well as fleshly lust. Uh, these things war against the soul. And that's essentially the root of sin. It's, it's a fleshly desire. It's selfishness. Uh, something we want to do necessarily that God says, well, you really shouldn't do it. That's not good. And a lot of people go, well, God has all these rules and he's, you know, it's not that God has rules. It's, it's God is essentially saying by all his commands, this is what it's like in heaven. And if you want that, if you want that relationship with him, this is what it's like. John would write in 1 John, the commandments of God are not burdensome. So to ever view the commandments of God and say, man, it's all these rules, all these regulations, this, that, and the other. No, it's not that. It, it, it's a matter of God going... Here is how you can have a relationship with me. Here is how you can live eternally in heaven with me. It's not that 
God is a, and you know, the, here's the thing. It's like those people who say, boy, you got to go out and drink. You know, I can have a good time without being drunk. Anybody else? See, some people think, well, you got to go, you got to drink, you got to do this. That's when you have a good time. Yeah, how's that feel the next morning? Don't anybody raise your hand, right? So it's possible to be happy and cheerful and have a great time without sin. Good old-fashioned, wholesome fun. I know, contrary to the belief of many, it's, it's probably not in their purview. Paul would write to the Romans, he'd say, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts or its desires. So here's an even better, more expanded uh, passage along those lines about not giving in to the desires of the world. These are what we contrasted to the fruits of the Spirit, which are later mentioned as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Okay, that's what it's like to be a Christian. Okay, so what is the antithesis of that? Well, Paul says, I say then, walk in the Spirit that you shall not fulfill the lust or desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, get ready. You're probably going to notice some of these are going to sound familiar. You're going to go, oh, I've done that. Or you're going to go, I'm doing that. Well, let's just hold on and go through. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outburst of wrath or outburst of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. It didn't end with what he explicitly listed, but it says, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay. Now, when I was studying this, I was reading through this list, and I said of myself, I said, it, it would be easier to name the things that I've not done than the things up here that I have done. That would be a much shorter list. But one of the things I want to highlight to you is the active part of this, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So think of it this way. A doctor practices medicine. A lawyer practices the law. A sinner is one who actively practices sin. So if you look at this list and you say, well, I've done a few of these or uh, I've done one or a couple, you know, if, if you've done one, it's as bad as doing all. But some may say, well, I don't do it anymore. Okay, that's great. So here's where the good news comes in. Are you ready? The good news of Jesus Christ. Christ died on the cross for our sins. 
He rose on the third day, defeating death. So, let's say that this is our slate. Now, when I was in school, it used to be when you were in elementary school, it was one of the worst things in the world for the teacher to write your name on the board. Kids don't care these days. It's different, right? You could get in tr- if you got in trouble at school, then you'd get in trouble at home, right? I got a paddle in one time in school, in high school. I didn't think I deserved it, and I'm willing to plead my case, but you probably don't care. But the one thing that I didn't want was for my daddy to find out I got paddled at school because the principal of my school, his mama and my grandmother were best friends. So everybody knew everybody, and I just didn't want daddy to find out. God shined his grace and favor upon me because that day Mr. Cordell, the principal, happened to not be in at the moment that I got my paddling. So daddy never found out until I was an adult and told him. I'm like, can't do anything now. The statute of limitations is gone. But, w- but when you were a kid and your teacher wrote your name on the board, it, it was kind of shameful if you'd gotten in trouble, you know. But every so often, at least one teacher that I had every day, she would erase the board and she'd say, everybody starts with a clean slate today. And of course, if you had your name written on the board, that's bad enough. But then if you kept on misbehaving, she'd put a little mark by your name. And once you got to so many marks, you know, things got worse. Okay. Well, anyway, let's say this is our slate. How can we get it wiped clean? Well, first we have faith in Christ as God's son. That's where we begin. I love the word trust. I like the word trust a lot better than faith because trust implies not only mental assent, but a response. If I trust the Lord, how will I respond to that? Okay, so have faith. Secondly, be willing to confess Jesus is the Son of God. That is the confession that we find throughout Scripture. Jesus asked, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And then his disciples were answering. And then he said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. A little bit later on, you have uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And as they're reading a passage from Isaiah 53, uh, Philip is explaining this passage relative to Christ. And so the eunuch says, well, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, you may if you believe with your whole heart. And Philip said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Same confession Peter made. Okay, so you have faith. Now you make your confession. Okay. Third, repentance. That's one of those churchy words, which literally means to change your mind. And because we change our mind, we change our actions. Stop continually practicing these things. You do an about face. Some of you were in the military. You know when you do that march and your drill sergeant would holler about face. You knew what that meant. You were going one direction. You halted. You turned around facing the total opposite direction. So rather than doing these, we, we do an about face and we quit walking this way and we walk God's way. That's what repentance is. So faith, confession, repentance, the final step to beginning to wipe this slate clean is baptism. Immersion with Jesus in water. And I'll tell you, there's nothing special about the water, 
There's nothing special about the person administering the baptism. What is special is the fact that you have faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And Scripture says that in those waters, our sins are washed away. And when we emerge from the waters, we become a new person. The old man of sin has been put to death. We now arise to walk in newness of life. That's how we begin our walk with Jesus. Now, when we begin that, we get a clean slate. Now, let's say a Christian says, Stephen, I've done all that, but I've done this too. I'd still like a clean slate. Well, 1 John says, if we are faithful to confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as a Christian, we confess, I have sinned thus and such, and we do that about face, we repent. So, contrary to what you're probably thinking, we're not going to stand and sing right now. But I do want you to ask, I do want to ask you to think very seriously about this. If you're not a Christian, faith, confession, repentance, being baptized, that begins your new walk with God. You get a clean slate. Okay. Christians who have had that clean slate, but guess what? Teacher has marked your sins on the board again. You want the clean slate once more. Confess your sins to God, ask for forgiveness. And then change your direction. Do that about face. Okay? We can all start with a clean slate. We can live as the foreigners and the visitors of this earth. Now, the final point that I think Peter makes in this passage, and I chose this particularly because it's what my parents used to always say to me. Act right. Anybody ever hear that? Act right. And if I persisted in not acting right, my parents would follow it up by saying, you better act right before you get smacked right. Anybody else hear that? Or is that just a Tennessee thing? I don't know. So what he says here is, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. So, let's be real honest. When we misbehave as Christians, when we sin as Christians, we are essentially fulfilling a passage that Paul wrote to the Romans when he said, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Okay, if you were to start in chapter 2 of Romans, well, what does that mean? Essentially, what he is pointing out is hypocrisy. Now, that's something that's often thrown around about Christians. Oh, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. Now, I'll, I'll grant you that, yeah, there are some Christians that are hypocrites. And trust me, I don't care for them any more than you do. But the majority of us aren't hypocrites. We're just failures. There's a difference. A failure is a person who tries, but they just come short. So what do we do? We get up, we dust off, and we keep on trying. A hypocrite is someone who willfully says one thing and does another. Are there some Christians that are that way? I'm pretty sure there are. And I'm pretty sure I've met several of them throughout the years. 
but I contend that the majority of us are failures. And if you're looking for a perfect group of people, you're not going to find them. And if you do, don't join them because you'll ruin it. Jesus is the only perfect sinless man that ever walked the face of the earth. None of us are, nor will we ever be. But do you ever notice that hypocrisy only matters to people when it, it, it comes to Christians? No one ever, at least from my experience, no one ever points at a celebrity and say, I'm not going to watch their movies. I'm not going to listen to their music. Why? Because they're hypocrites. Or what about athletes? Do they look at athletes and go, I'm never going to watch a game that they're in again because they are hypocrites. People don't say that. They always look at Christians and they say it of us. Now, it's far easier for me to call someone a hypocrite than to admit that I am one myself. It's always easier. And I'll be the first to say that my walk doesn't always match my talk. I'm not always a loving husband, a kind father, a patient minister, or a compassionate friend. Now, I hope I am more of those than I am not, but if I'm being honest, the fact is, I'm not always. And I don't think people have a problem with us being human, right? I don't think folks have a big issue with the fact that, you know, we're just humans like the rest of you. But I think they have a problem when we put on that facade and we try to pretend to be something we're not. When we're being actors and actresses playing a part that we really are not. That is what bothers people. Not the fact that you love the Lord and, and you, you have done this and you, you, know, you get angry. Are, are Christians allowed to get angry? Well, yeah, we are. Hopefully, we, when we're angry, follow the passage that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, be angry and sin not. Right? God gets angry. Christians can be angry. But when I'm judgmental of others and very harsh about it, folks mind that. When I treat people as projects and not people, folks mind that. And an example of that is when we try to buddy up to somebody and we go, let me teach you about Jesus. And they lose interest and we go, I'm done with you. Folks mind that. It's insincere. It's not genuine. And here's another thing. When we bite and devour one another, people look and go, why would I ever want to be a part of that? I really, truly wish that every Christian would serve just one year as a preacher. I hate to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I was having a conversation with someone and I said, if my son ever said, I want to be a preacher, or if my daughter said, I want, I'm going to marry this guy who's a preacher, first thing I'd do would be to discourage it. That sounds bad, doesn't it? After all, I am one. After all, my wife is married to one. Why is that? And I said, because Christians can be some of the most petty people on the face of the earth. And you got to have tough skin. you got to have thick skin. They will complain about things that you go, I'm visiting with this person who's dying. I'm ministering to this family whose marriage is about to fall apart. You don't like a typo in the bulletin? I couldn't care less. 
or you don't like that I said something that I thought was funny and you didn't think was funny. The people that often complain are often not the ones visiting, ministering, and sharing the gospel with others. Now that rubs me raw. And I don't like it. And I would rather not my son nor my daughter have their faith challenged by dealing with Christians than anything. Go and be a Christian. Be faithful. Because you have to really be truly called to do the work of a minister. I've wanted to quit more times than I've wanted to stay. And there are a few times that I did often quit. But God kept pulling me back in. That's the only way I can explain it. And let me say this. I have had a few throughout my various ministries. The only time they ever wanted to talk to me is when they had criticism. And I've told every single one of them, if the only time you ever talk to me is when you have criticism, I don't want to hear from you. Because if all I ever did as a preacher was tell you how bad you were, you know what you'd do? You'd find another church to go to. I told one guy who thought it was his life's mission to critique every sermon of mine. I said, I tell you what, this coming Sunday, I'm going to sit down you get up and you preach and you show me how it's done. He said, oh, no, 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 I'm not a preacher. I just, I can just criticize. I said, listen, criticism is not a spiritual gift. And if you want me to listen to your criticism, have something else to say to me other than to criticize me, first of all. And second of all, be willing to get in the trenches and do the work. And if you're not, I don't want to hear from you. Boy, that took a dark turn, didn't it? Maybe I needed that therapy session. Thank you, my many counselors. But in honesty, why have I stayed? It's not because of how people have treated me. Because I've had congregations where, say you got a hundred folks, 98 of them love you to death and two of them just, you know, always gripe and complain and negative. And some people go, but Stephen, you got 98 that love you. I, yeah, but those two can really make your life miserable. I have stayed because I love the Lord. I have stayed because I have felt that he wants me to be a minister. And there have been times that I have been discouraged. And every time I get discouraged as a minister, I read the book of Jeremiah. Because the book of Jeremiah shows that I really don't have it that bad. Jeremiah was beaten by his brethren. They took the scroll that he wrote the prophecy on and ripped it to shreds. I go, well, I've not gotten that bad yet. But it's a great work to do, but it's not for everyone. I would say to anyone who wants to be a preacher, if you're looking for a job, find another one. Because you really got to have heart to do this. And if you're not devoted to doing it, if the least little thing will run you off, then you're not made for it. And the last thing that the church needs is a bunch of people who do not have backbones in the pulpits. But I will say this, that there is probably no book in the Bible, except maybe for one, I think the book of Esther, but there is no book in the scripture where God is not getting onto his people for something. 
So when people look at us and they criticize us for hypocrisy, whatever the case is, I go, read the Bible. If you've ever read the Bible, God is constantly getting on to His people. Why is that? It's because we're not perfect. And it's because we could use a dressing down every once in a while, and it's because we could use correction. But God, even though in the criticism of His unfaithful people, shows that He still loves us, that He's patient with us, that He's merciful toward us, and that even in our worst of moments, He's not given up on us. So when others watch, let's make sure that they they see something worthwhile and not something to be ashamed of. Let's not do it as actors and actresses, but let's do it as truly transformed people of God, following the Lord as best as we can, while not hiding our humanity, but saying, look, here's where I fall short, and yet God still loves me. Paul even wrote that. He said, I was the chief of sinners. I persecuted the church of God. But he said, you look at my life and you see the patience and the love and the mercy of God. You would think, I'm irredeemable. God will give up on me. You have a small idea of who God is. He will wipe the slate clean if I respond accordingly. So as we discussed earlier, if you want the slate wiped clean, you know what to do. You can do so publicly by coming to the front as we stand together and sing.